Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on July the 11th, 2023. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, wearing all his clothes. Caffeine rage. Uh, much to your chagrin, I know. Much to I know. my chagrin. On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing a couple of games that we've played. The Microsoft Activision deal getting closer. The Dutch government seeks to ban loot boxes. 87% of classic video games are critically endangered, says Game History Organization. Denuvo wants to convince you its DRM isn't evil. <laughs> the official Minecraft wiki editors are furious at fandom. And video games and TikTok are to blame for French riots, apparently. Timestamps will be in the show notes. Following their respons- respective... God damn it, I got so close to all the way through. <laughs> Topics! How are you, Rage? Oh, outside of tripping you up. Uh, yeah. I'm all right. You're all right and fully clothed. I know, I know. That's that's a that's reference. That's a reference for the uh the Franken content coming soon to a Franken show near you. Yeah, we in. took uh the week off for uh Independence Day and I also was sick that night, so double whammy, right? Yeah, although we had planned to take it off before you got sick, so Yeah. It was, uh, I guess, yeah, a, I have just the lingering uh, cough every so often now. It was not a fun time. No, being sick right. usually is not. Yeah, especially whenever it's like at times it's just going haywire. Yeah, I was uh, on taking a vacation last week, so mm-hmm. I kind of was like, yeah, it'd be good to just chill. It's the 4th of July. We got some stuff we're probably going to do. Just chill. Yeah, it turns out just running around naked. <laughs> How did you know? Were you watching? <laughs> you dog. But also, ooh la la. But yeah, uh, I don't. There's not really a good way to segue from that into talking about some games. So, uh, hey, Rage, I played a game and you played a game. Who wants to yep. go first? Uh, I think I'll go first because we have another one in the series. Okay. Uh, games that I tried that I should like a lot more than I actually do. Go Sometimes, on. Have you ever played a game and then looked at the reviews of it and it's like, what the hell are they smoking to think this? Yes. After playing the game. I played uh, Arcade Paradise on Game Pass when it came to Game Pass last week or week before. Uh, well, pretty much like a day or two after it came out. And premise-wise, it sounds like an absolute home run. I fucking hate this game. Okay, so, uh, Arcade Paradise is a business sim, technically, slash arcade simulator, where you're, well, they they use gender-neutral name Ashley. I'm, yeah, really get the feeling, you know, uh, daughter. Uh, you're being put in charge of your father's uh, laundromat to basically, tr- yeah, you're kind of just coasting through life, according to him. And uh, he wants you to have some responsibility in your life. So he puts you in charge of the laundromat to uh, 
keep it running. Uh, it's, it's a property that he actually forgot he owned for quite a while, and it's in a bit of disrepair. And after playing it for a while, I'm convinced of one thing. The developers have never been in a laundromat. They don't, they don't, <laughs> they don't, they don't understand that a laundromat doesn't have somebody running around doing laundry for people. I, it's like, I, I know, I know this is something weird to get hung up on, but, but it all comes back around. Trust me. All right. So, okay. uh, it, the game is essentially in technically three parts. You have the business sim esque of building up the arcade portion of the laundromat. The uh, laundromat has like this little back room that has a few arcade cabinets that you uh, uh, work on, uh, build up, uh, order, uh, take money from the laundromat and invest it in the arcade to uh, expand out the selection there. And uh, there's a, another portion where you're able to just sit and play the arcade games. And then the third portion is where you're running around the laundromat uh, doing laundry. But it's an obviously self-serve laundromat. So I have this moment of, like, have the developers actually been in a laundromat? Do they, they know how this works, right? It doesn't have, you know, a teenager running around doing your laundry for you. And I, I say business sim-esque because technically... You cannot fail the the uh, the business side of things. It, you know, you could just be getting F's on all your essentially missions. They they kind of gamify everything. So like whenever you're walking around the uh, uh, the laundromat picking up trash that people's left behind, and you get a full bag of trash, you're able to go out back and throw it into the dumpster, and it has like this giant target show up, and if you Hit the target just right, you get extra cash for it, because reasons, right? Yeah. But it just kind of took me so out of it. <laughs> and the thing is that it forces you to try to work on the laundromat portion of it, and you only have, I think, two and a half, three minutes from when a wash cycle starts to when it finishes. So if you go back in the back and start playing a video game, well... When that goes off, you have a giant risk come up in your uh, field of vision, blocking the game. And you can't just, you know, step away and uh, flip over the laundry and go back to it because it restarts the game. So it feels almost like they don't want you to play the uh, play the arcade, at least in the very beginning, which is weird, right? But the thing is, if you neglect the laundromat... It brings the progression to an absolute crawl. So, on like day two, you get, you're talking to your buddy on the computer uh, through uh, instant messaging. It, they don't exactly say what the date is, uh, if I recall correctly, but you know it feels very yeah you know, like uh, you know two thousands to the uh, you know like bit aughts, you know. Okay. And uh, they talk about how your uh, your friend uh, knows a guy that will knock out the back wall of the storeroom where the arcade is. And uh, your dad owns like the entire block. Uh, but the uh, store that's behind the laundromat is completely empty. And since your dad is just watching the front because all he's ever cared about is the laundromat, even though the arcade portion of it makes more uh, 
uh, makes uh, a bit more, I guess I should say, depending on how you tweak things, than the laundromat portion. And the whole thing is, I'm going to show my dad. I'm going to knock uh, down this wall and build out uh, this giant arcade and make the laundromat, uh, yeah, uh, make the laundromat in the back room, right? But it's just it's so sluggish and slow, repetitive that after a couple of in-game days and not even being a quarter of the way to the big, you know, first uh, objective of, you know, getting enough money to essentially renovate the back room to uh, get a few more arcade cabinets, I was just done. I do not know how this game has so uh, high reviews. Unless it's just people that just really like doing laundry. Or there may be something I'm missing. Because there's also portions of the game where you walk around collecting uh, uh, chewed up bubblegum that people put under seats and stuff. And if you uh, find that, it sometimes gives you cash. Or a fair amount of cash, but not enough to really uh, offset the fact that you're having to do laundry over and over again. I just, I don't get it. This might be the, you know... Maybe I'm old award for me this year. I don't know how this has such high reviews. I really don't. Your estimation of it echoes um, Conrad Zimmerman from uh, the Podquisition, which is the... Yeah, which I've Jane. never uh, listened to. Yeah, but he he liked it. <laughs> he He was like, I like this, and I find myself compelled to keep playing... But it's not. I don't understand why people love it. Because he I mean, talks it has about like a, what you do. The it has an eighty-eight or eighty-six percent on uh, Steam. I mean, it does have some interesting things. It has uh, a few like I don't want to say parodies, more like mishmashes of arcade cabinets. Like the they have like a Pac-Man slash GTA clone, where. You're running around collecting cash in a Pac-Man-esque maze, but when you get caught, you jump out and you run on foot and uh, try to escape the cops to get to a new rod. However, you know, to get there, you know, you have to go through this grind. Yeah, and he, he talks about the arcade games being the draw for him, the some of the unique arcade game sort of mashups that they do and their mechanics. Mm-hmm. He's like, I always hated having to go back and do stuff for the laundromat. I just wanted to keep playing the arcade games. But the thing is that if you uh, don't do the laundromat stuff, your progression just comes to a crawl. At least as far as I can tell. I just, I don't get it. It feels like two halves of a game that doesn't make a a complete game, you know? You might, the, the part, maybe, the part that might be getting you is like this it the game like i've I've seen it i haven't played it mm-hmm. but it, it feels to me like a weird kind of nostalgia bait that i think that you're the like you're just a smidgen too old maybe, like that might be it too as well the, yeah the literal like maybe i'm old like you're just a little too old and so the nostalgia doesn't hit you right but then again you have stuff like the coin game where the nostalgia does hit me but it also I think the thing is that it doesn't take me out of the game to go do Monday tasks constantly, you know? Yeah. Because I do have nostalgia for the arcade. I I never did the uh, Togun-style arcade, or I should say I I went, like, a couple times. I shouldn't say never. 
But there was like a couple game rooms that had arcade cabinets. Yeah. Uh, that I have nostalgia for. So the nostalgia possibility is there, but it's just so god awful. Uh, on the other half of it, that doesn't redeem it, you know? Yeah, I get that. I don't have a lot of arcade nostalgia. I did enjoy going to some arcades as a kid, but because we lived out in the country, mm-hmm. I didn't go to arcades frequently. So it was it was like a treat, and I liked it, but it wasn't a place that I like spent my youth, you know? Yeah, here uh, where I used to live, there was a couple, well, they called them game rooms. It had, uh, I want to say, 10, 12 arcade games, along with a couple of pool tables. Usually, uh, uh, one lasted a couple years, another one tried to revive it, and only lasted uh, essentially the summer. And pretty much once the kids uh, went back to school, you know, there was no revenue for it. Yeah. Well... I never, I never thought that I would like this game after I heard about it and then looked it up. And this, I mean, I tried on Game Pass, ago. so I, I tried it on Game Pass, so I gave it as fair a shake as I could. But <laughs> like I said, it it feels like there's something there, but the, they just get in the way of themselves so often that it just made me not want to play it. So uninstalled. Yeah, fair enough. All right, well. I took a vacation. First time I've taken a Jared-style vacation in a while, which is I take a week off of work, I pick a big-ass video game that I want to play, and I play that video game. And this time, I played Pillars of Eternity. So, uh, two years, three years ago, we did Tyranny Mm -hmm. for Game Club. This is the first game that Obsidian made in that sort of modern line of games. There's three games that are loosely seen as a trilogy. Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2 and Tyranny in the middle. Tyranny is not an official sequel, but there's a lot of um, sort of uh, rumor or fan theory that because Obsidian made all, all three games and used a lot of the assets and and things from Tyranny, and there are some Easter egg-like references that they're actually in the same universe, um, which I could see it, um, you know, like me- sort of like different sort of planes of existence or on a completely different time, like Tyranny being a prequel in sort of the world age. But anyways, um, I'm, I, I say that because I'm going to talk about Tyranny a little bit later. Um, in comparison to this game. So Pillars of Eternity released initially in 2015. It got a couple of major DLCs, some minor stuff. Um, I believe it was 2018 when the last piece of content was released for, T- or for Pillars of Eternity. Um, and so I bought the Gold Edition or Definitive Edition or whatever it was called that had all of the DLC and everything in it. Pillars of Eternity is a classic CRPG style game, isometric, um, kind of fixed maps, um, a lot of character customization, copying the, it, it, it 
the way to think of it is a spiritual successor to Baldur's Gate. And this was before we got, you know, Baldur's Gate 3. This was in sort of that huge gap in the middle where that I'm sure that there were some successful CRPGs that I don't know about because I'm not a huge CRPG genre person at up until this point. Um, but I am familiar with Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 and a couple of older games, and this does very much feel like a spiritual successor successor to Baldur's Gate 2. Um, there are a lot of similarities, um, and aside from some what I would call modernization in game presentation, and especially with the way that tabletop game mechanics have changed. Um, this feels like a natural evolution from Baldur's Gate into a more modern era of game. Um, and with that in mind, if you've played Baldur's Gate or any of the other classic CRPGs, you are going to feel very familiar at this. It is a um, fantasy-style universe with... Uh, based on a lot of tabletop rules, Dungeons and Dragons specifically, you have spell slots. If you're a magic casting character, as you level up, you gain access to more spells or abilities. Um, you have things that are on cooldowns for rest periods, and you can take rests that will re-recover all of your health and reset all of your spell slots and ability slots and feats. Um, it's got a lot of your standard, like you can play humans or dwarves or elves or um, these like celestial creatures that kind of remind me of Asimar from uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and a couple others. You can, um, with your class create or with your, uh, sorry, with your stats and at your character creation, you don't roll for stats. Um, you do what's called point by and you set your your skill your stats at the beginning of the game your attribute points um and that is the only time that they can be changed without cheating um, everything else can be changed you can respec your character you can redo your level ups there's ways in the game to change your class but your race and your uh attribute points are set from the beginning of the game and the only way to change them is with console commands so that that has some issues that will come up later. <laughs> um, off the top, this game, I, I, I know I've done some talking, but I think the best way I can summarize this for anyone who doesn't want to sit through like a long diatribe about it, game development eh, or game design, rather, and storytelling mechanics is the story for Pillars of Eternity is really, really good. And it does, it, it is able to tell both a classic fantasy adventure story while also having some very surprising moments that catch you off guard in a good way. I was impressed with the storytelling and it is let down by subpar game design mechanics. Um, you know, if I were to rate the two separately, I would say the story is an A plus and to play the game for anything other than just running around and interacting with the story is like a C plus, maybe a B minus. Um, it's extremely well written. The parts that are voice acted are voice acted excellently, but it is largely text based, so they can do a lot with that. You know, I have to say, when it comes to voice acting versus text based games, I do like voice acting. It's nice, but you're so limited by relying exclusively on voice acting. 
So they do voice acting for sort of major moments in the game and some uh, a lot of the interactions that you have with your companions that you pick up through the game. Otherwise, it's all text-based, so you're going to be doing a lot of reading. Um, but it, it uses that to its advantage. So, you know, A-plus a story, C-plus, maybe B-minus mechanics. If you've never played this, the short version is, if that sounds fine to you, go for it. The long version. I don't want to talk too much about the story because I don't want to spoil the story. I don't want to give away some of those big moments where it's like, oh, shit. I was not expecting that, but like in a good way. I don't want to give those moments mm-hmm. away. The basics that you get in the first couple hours of the game. You play someone who is able to read souls. There is an event at the beginning of the game that sort of awakens your ability. It threads the needle nicely between you being sort of, air quotes, the chosen one, but also not so special that there have never been any of these other soul readers. Um, I thought it was pronounced soul reader. <laughs> Fair enough. They're, they're few and far between, but they do exist in the world. And they have kind of a baby version that are called seers that um, can sort of pick up. Um, it, it's almost like they're, they're psychic. They can feel people's emotional states and get maybe scant glimpses of memories or things. But the soul readers can interface with it directly and interact with it and, and talk to people's souls and spiritual makeup. Um, and that comes up a lot in the game. Uh, this game was backed on Kickstarter. And so all of the backers at a certain tier were able to create a character and like do some sort of story writing snippets that the developers turned into backstories for these random characters. They're denoted by having gold names. Um, mm-hmm. And you can interact with them and you can read their souls and you can read through, oh God, hundreds of character, like little character story snippets that are all, every one of them I read, I, I will say it it's tedious to read them all. But the ones that I did read um, were very well written. They, some of them kind of interconnected and interacted with each other in the same city or environment. And on top of that, some of them had information that could help you with quests main quests or eventually branched off into their own quests. There are a few quests that I picked up by, by doing this and it, it signposts a couple of them for you to kind of tell you that it's there. And then if you want to explore, you can find more things and discover like hidden areas and sort of treasure. And, and it is very cool. That's extremely well done, um, but it is tedious to go through and to get them all. But so sorry, digression. So in the beginning of the game, you you there's this event you you wake up as a soul reader and you start going down this ad- <coughs> adventure initially to try to figure out how to reverse your condition because if you don't most people who are soul readers go crazy and die because they can't handle it and so you discover like oh actually you kind of are the chosen one and you're connected to a certain thing that can allow you to harness and control this power if you you pursue it to the end of the game. Um, and you pick up eight companions. There are eight total companions that you can pick up throughout the game. Um, you can have a party of up to six at a time, so you can bring you know five of them with you. Uh, and they have their own stories, and they interact with the main story, and kind of based on what moral paths you choose, they will 
you know, you'll you'll make better friends with some of them or other um, make enemies out of others. They have their own very deep, interesting, unique stories and plot hooks and ties into the main quest. Like one of the companions, the one of the companions that you meet is tied into the main bad guy and has been since the beginning of the game. And if you treat him well and gain his trust, he will like inform you of this and turn to your side instead of betraying you at the end of the game if he's in your party. And he like, you know, you have the option to banish him or kill him. Like it's very, very in depth. But there's there's a plague in this world that you're in where that all of the children are born what they call hollowborn. They're born without souls. So their bodies function, but they have no souls. So they've got no personality, no intelligence, no spark of life. They're just kind of almost like zombies that don't actively try to eat people. And oh, uh, kids on TikTok. Right. And so this is, you know, this is connected to the main bad guy and it's the whole plot of the game that you're trying to solve amidst your own sort of little adventure. And there are a whole bunch of different ways that people are trying to solve this problem who have no idea what's going on. And in true RPG fashion, you make, you know, choices that widely affect the landscape of the game. And then at the end, you know, you get informed how your decisions all kind of played out. And something that might seem like a good choice in the moment turns out to have long-lasting negative consequences based on other choices that you made. So, it's good. The story is good. I can't really be any more specific without starting to spoil certain plot points, even if they aren't necessarily, like, giving away the ending. It's like, no, you want to discover this on your own for the first time because of how sort of awe-inspiring some of these moments are or how interesting they are. Beyond that, the world design is beautiful and amazing and plays into all of this quite well. There's um, sort of one central city that you'll spend most of the game either in or interacting with. Um, It feels very logically laid out. There's a lot of storytelling going on between the districts. The environmental storytelling is just on it. Like it's up there. It's good. Um, because people from distant different di- districts will t- treat other people differently. The country people will treat the city people differently. And as you go back and forth between these environments, interacting with these people, and the politics of the area are so well-developed and intricate. And if you really want to get invested, you can really get deep down in the weeds. There's sort of three... I don't want to say three main factions. That kind of gives it the wrong impression there there are sort of three factions that you will interact with um that kind of that set the course of the game and in terms of your stronghold which i'll talk about in a minute and some things that affect the end game but the larger geopolitics of the area are really spelled out multiple factions local um sort of a local government a trade alliance think like british east india trading company like is set up in this city and that's causing problems. And then you've got the local religious group and the local scientific group that each have a lot of power and they're vying for influence on how to try to deal with the, the hollow born and just it, it all sprawls out into the surrounding countryside. There are multiple small villages that you can go to and have large impacts on from a a story perspective. Um, Little sort of encampments in between There's a merchant guild um, of, like, seafaring 
you know, tradesmen that you interact with, which apparently is like a huge basis for the second game. Like you have a, a, a pirate ship or something in the second game you get to sail the world in. Don't you don't get that here. You have a stronghold here. Which the stronghold is you encounter it very early on in the game um, as part of the main quest so that you wind up taking control of this old castle um, and you get to build it up. It serves as a pretty big currency sink like many of these RPGs go. You get sort of settled into like a good set of gear and then just basically sell everything else that comes along aside from the odd like quest reward that is amazing that replaces your other really good thing. So you wind up with tens of thousands of gold sitting around in your inventory with nothing to do. So what you do with it is you you develop your stronghold and it gives you various benefits and provides you with additional missions and story content and ways that you can train your party members uh, by sending them off on their own missions and they can develop skills and bring back unique items. And it grows and develops throughout the game. You repair all of these old broken down buildings and the interiors. And when you go back to your stronghold to um, collect items from your stash or get the resting bonuses from staying at your stronghold, there are more and more people gathered and it starts to feel like you are a local lord. And it has its own story tied to it with the previous family who owned it tries to get control of it back from you and there's different ways you can handle this, that situation, but usually it winds up in an open conflict where you fight an actual battle um, with dozens of NPCs on a battlefield, both your side and the opponents. One of the only times that the combat mechanics actually worked out pretty well, um, which seems odd, but yeah, there's just so much. And there's like, there's an entire third section of the game um it's rough it's divided up into four acts with acts one two and three being your main things and the fourth act being kind of the finale and the wrapping up process and there's a whole section of the map that doesn't even open up until act three that is a second city um of elf like tribes of elves that have banded together to form this like forest city And it has its own unique culture and buying factions. And it's not quite as deep as the first city in the game, but it is still a very deep and intricate story. And there's the DLC, which takes you to another kingdom where you there's another city where you learn about the culture of ogres. And yeah, it just goes on and on and on. And the story and the, the complexity and the depth of the world just shines through it's written by a bunch of people who really care about this world that they've crafted it feels like the types of of worlds that i've crafted after you know years of playing you know rpg campaigns set within the same world and you build and you build and you build and you like weave all of these things together excellent very good story. 10 out of 10 would recommend. I would love to see uh, some books or some smaller games that are set in these individual locations. You could have an entire series of games in just the the cities or smaller games that have to deal with like the villages or some of the, the settlements and wonderful story. Loved it. 10 out of 10. Gameplay mechanics mm, painfully average at best. Let's The AI is either stupid 
or programmed in such a way to be extremely limited. So the difficulty of the game, it's got five difficulties, story mode, easy, medium, hard, very hard, and then it has a few modifiers. It's got your Iron Man mode. Um, you've got, uh, I think it's called hardcore mode, which you can only tack onto hard or very hard difficulty, which kills your party members a lot faster. Um, there's permadeath, so if any of your party members die, they are permanently, you know, dead. But the game is a little bit forgiving. If they get knocked down, they get back up with partial health. And if they get knocked down too many times to where that their health gets knocked to zero, um, cause you've got stamina and you've got health. It calls it endurance, but I'm, I kept calling it stamina and kept thinking of it as stamina. So I'm just called it stamina. You have stamina and health. And when your stamina drops to zero, then your character becomes incapacitated for the battle. And there are attacks that can deal direct damage to health. Um, but normally you lose health only after your character drops, their stamina drops to zero. And if that happens enough times, their health gets to zero. And then they take on a um, semi-permanent injury that can be healed. Uh, but at that point, if they have dropped to zero, when they get back up after a battle, you can heal them all the way back up to full. But if you don't rest and recover that injury, the next time they drop, they're dead. And hardcore mode makes it so that the first time they drop to zero, they die. They don't get that injury. Um, so it, it makes it more difficult. I, but I couldn't imagine playing this game on anything harder than easy mode. Um, because the AI is so brain dead. I think if you played it on, you, it has sort of a default speed, a two times speed, and a one half speed. And you can play the whole game at, in, at any three speeds. And I think if you turned the game to one half speed and paused constantly during combat so that you could be micromanaging your entire party, I think you could get through, like, that's how you're intended to get through on the harder difficulties. But I don't want to do that. Yeah, I that don't one wanna, doesn't sound too fun. I don't want to tediously control <laughs> each of my people. Um, I want to issue, you know, I want to control my player that I created and occasionally go in and and check on something. Um, there's some auto-pause things you can set up, like if a character drops their health to too low or if a character passes out, certain status effect conditions, you can set up auto-pause triggers. So I set up auto pause on a few of those so that when that happened, I could make sure that somebody hopefully didn't, you know, go down. But for the most part, I just want to, to let the AI handle those guys and I'll handle my guy and let's, let's play through. And I wasn't expecting to be able to play through on hard or very hard. I just wanted to play through on normal, but because the AI both is brain dead, they don't effectively use their abilities um, because everything has got, not everything, but almost everything has got limits so your magical characters have spell slots and if you don't take a short or a long rest equivalent it um it's resting at a base or camping if you don't do one of those two things those spell slots don't recover so the ai even if you set it to where the ai will use you know maximum spell slots they still hold on to some of them in reserve i'm guessing so that if you're micromanaging them and you come over and you want to do something they still have a spell slot but that means that they don't use their abilities to the fullest. So if you're fighting a boss and you're going to rest afterwards and you don't want to micromanage it, or even if you're just out and you're getting, you know, wrecked in a much harder encounter, they're not using their spells 
to their effect to their full effect. And then there are abilities that are per combat or per rest that everyone gets. Um, and the non spellcasters get more of those abilities, you know, special attacks or extra attacks or things that can knock an opponent down or that allow them to go into stealth mode in combat and attack from stealth to do extra damage, you know, fighter shit, rogue shit, um, barbarian shit, like pulling all of the enemies in where they'll attack you at once kind of deals, um, you know, taunting, etc. Those have a either per battle limit or sorry, a per encounter limit or a per rest limit. And they don't use those effectively either either. And no AI will automatically use anything that are in their item slots. So like with most of these games, you have quick use slots for items like potions or spells or sorry, potions or scrolls or, you know, food items or certain magical items might have an ability that for some reason shows up there. The AI, the AI won't use them on their own. Never, never once. And there's no option to turn that on or off. They just never use their items. So, you know, you can stack somebody up with health potions and, you know, they'll they'll be on death's door and refuse to drink a health potion. So I went strawberry. This one's cherry flavored. So I kept running into these issues with the game on normal difficulty. Where that anything outside of a sort of a simple combat encounter, I would use up all of my abilities and be fine. But the AI, my AI companions would have abilities left over. They would be taking extra damage all the time, going down or even dying. And I'm left alone. Like if you guys would just use your abilities, then I wouldn't have to deal with this. So then you turn the game down to easy difficulty mm-hmm. and the enemy, then it, then there's no challenge to the combat because the, the difficulties, um, easy and story mode have got fewer enemies and the enemies that are there are lower level. They're just weaker. Normal mode has got, you know, quote unquote, what they set up is like the average for enemies and their health pools and the types. And then hard and very hard have more enemies that are higher level. And so on easy, there are fewer enemies and the enemies are weaker. So the combat encounters become boring at that point. You're just doing the same thing over and over again or just waiting you know, just spamming the regular attack and waiting for all of your you and your allies to overrun everyone. My eventual solution was to go into the console commands and double all of my party's health and then just leave the game on normal mode. Because then we could tank enough damage that normal fights, like I wouldn't have to worry about micromanaging. And then the more difficult encounters or boss fights, they felt adequately challenging at that point. However, going into console commands or going in and using console commands disables achievements, which makes me miffed. Mm. But it is what it is. That was my happy medium, was just doubling mine and all of my companions' health. But abilities outside of magic are frankly boring. Um, and I kind of I kind of get it. But if you're going to take inspiration from tabletop RPGs, like just kind of steal some of their stuff whole cloth. There are tons of interesting abilities that different races and classes get in D and D and Pathfinder and other games that are not magic based. Um, that you could, you could add in that they just didn't. Um, the magic spells are the ones where it feels like all the work was put in. Um, that have the most interesting effects and are the most powerful. Wizards 
by far are the strongest class in the game. Like, hands down, they just do so much damage. Even, like, from earlier on in the game. Um, r- around level five was when my character, who was a wizard, and one of my companions, who was also a wizard, basically, my character was DPS, and the other wizard was crowd control. And we just, between the two wizards, most combat encounters, when I was having to focus, I could lock down the enemies and blow them all up. And everyone else was just hanging out. Although part of that might come down to the difficulty. Like I said, I went back and forth between easy and normal mode up until I figured out the best thing to do was just double all of my health. So on top of that, there are other mechanics that just don't make any sense. The game sometimes lies to you or is broken with certain effects that it tells you and how they're going to work and what they do. And then it doesn't work that way. Um, for example, poisons. You, you know, it says poison, like, you know, apply to your weapon, but you, you can't, you, whenever you use the poison, it's like your character drinks it. So there's no way to actually apply the poison effect to your weapon. So you, you know, you go to use a poison and then you drink it and your character takes damage and suffers negative effects. It's like, no, I wanted to coat my sword in this. Um, I, the game never tells you this. I had to discover this by experimentation. You cannot stack effects from magical equipment. So if you have a, um, you know, a cloak that gives plus two strength and your armor itself also gives plus two strength and you have a sword that gives plus two strength. Well, you only get plus two strength. You don't get plus six. So I didn't realize that at first I was running into all of these challenges because there's no way to change your attribute points. The way that I like to build characters for tabletop games, unless I'm doing random stat rolls, if I'm doing point by, I like to make characters that honestly are kind of average. Um, they have no glaring weaknesses, but no major strengths. Maybe something they're a little better in. Um, if, for example, in D and D, like if you have a if you have ten in your stats, it's plus zero to your roll, so no bonuses, no negatives. I don't like to have stats below ten. I would rather have a character that's not quite as good as they could be, but they're not quite as bad as they would need to be to have that trade-off. I like to do that. And for actual tabletop games where you've got a lot more flexibility with how you approach situations because you as a person are engaged in gameplay with other people, you can't get around some of the issues in the games of your, of, in the game of your stats being too low. And so because I made my character in game the way I like to make characters in actual tabletop games, I had a character that could not do a whole bunch of stuff um, because I didn't have enough strength. You know, my character was a a wizard, so I went for intelligence and willpower as the the stats that I increased the most, but that meant that my strength was average. And so all of these checks that you run into, it it does not use any of your party stats. You cannot use a, a another party member's stats to complete anything. It's all based on your stats, which the game also does not tell you. Um, and Tyranny, for example, doesn't do this. Tyranny will use your party member's stats if any of theirs are high enough in place of yours. So you can build a well-rounded party that can do everything by the mid-game in Tyranny. But you can't do that in um, Pillars of Eternity. So I kept running into all these issues where my strength was just not high enough and I could not complete um, things. And so I started piling on equipment that increased my strength Anytime I was going to go do like story interactions or, you know, with quick save and quick load, if I, you know, ran into a story thing, it's like you need strength. And I discovered through trial and error that you cannot stack 
stat boosting uh, equipment on yourself. And there are very few stat boosting items. So it's like you kind of hit a cap if you don't build your character very fully into sort of one aspect of play or the other. Um, you hit a cap on what you can do, which on the one hand makes sense, but on the other hand is incredibly frustrating. And I feel like that is not good game design. Um, I'm okay with there being certain things being locked behind. You did not try to build your character this way. Um, I don't like the Bethesda model of any character can do anything at any time. I don't like that, but the game does not tell you at any point. Hey, Think of this like a very classic tabletop RPG where that you need to have your character be the best at whatever it is that you're trying to do. You have no way to make up for that. The game never tells you that. So it's extremely frustrating when you find yourself locked out of certain things because you didn't give yourself enough strength, for example. And I'd imagine right, you have your uh, companion there as oodles of strength, but won't do it. Yeah, I had a So my my stats, my strength stat was 12. Um, I had a companion whose strength stat was 18. And with, you know, uh, with items and the appropriate what resting bonuses, I could get his strength up to 24. Um, the, a mix of his class, equipment boosts, and then a resting bonus. Whenever you rest at an inn or at your castle, you can get stat boosts for everyone in your party. So his strength could be 24, but I could not use him for any of the strength-based tasks, I had to do it myself. And so I, I literally could not pass certain challenges in the game without cheating. And the uh, game never... very frustrating. And, and if the game had told you, like, hey, like, anywhere, and I don't know how, like, they would have said it, but if it had said anywhere at any point, like, you genuinely, you need to focus, like, on at least your first playthrough on a character type. That way you can you know, have enough skills to do all of the things related to that type. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with certain things being locked out for another playthrough, but I built a character who couldn't do two. I mean, you've got your three archetypes. You've got your, you know, your magic person, your sneaky person, and your combat person. You know, your, your mage, rogue, fighter as your sort of three kind of general archetypes. I could not do rogue or fighter. I could only do mage. Um, and only just barely, there were some ma magic things that I could not do because I didn't go all in, you know, I didn't take the concept of a dump stat or a couple of dump stats to boost my intelligence and my wisdom up high enough to do everything. But because they were high enough, I could do most of the, the wizard stuff. I found that really frustrating. Now I, I gushed about the story. There's so much that, you know, it was not as frustrating to me. But again, like, I don't understand some of the game design decisions that went into this. So, yeah. A plus for story. Like, C plus for game gameplay mechanics. Tyranny. Story compared to Tyranny. Tyranny's, Tyranny's story I liked, and I liked its gameplay mechanics. Tyranny's mechanics are better. Its AI is smarter. It's got a better magic system in terms of combat. The spellcrafting and tyranny is very cool. Um, I'm hoping, because I do want to play Pillars of Eternity 2. I'm hoping that they did the storytelling prowess from Pillars of Eternity and the gameplay mechanic superiority of tyranny and smush them together. That would be great. 
But I don't think I'm going to do a second playthrough on Pillars of Eternity. I liked it a lot. And I could probably get through it faster, knowing all of the main story details. But that sort of first playthrough experience, like, I, I'm not going to get that again, you know? So, ultimately, it's a good game. It was apparently given away for free once on Epic or... I think Amazon or Prime Gaming had it as well. Yeah, like, it has been given away before. It might be free available elsewhere. It cost me... I think 25 bucks for the complete edition. I definitely got my money's worth. I definitely enjoyed my time with it. And who knows? Maybe someday I'll come around and do another playthrough with a different character type. But I don't think I want to play it again. If combat was just better, man. That's such a slog. So much of the game is combat. A lot of fighting in a, in a, you know, a tabletop style game. So. And not a way to really streamline it because, right? Yeah, I mean, you could play on story mode, which basically trivializes the combat and makes it, like, pointless, but you still have to go through every fight, you still have to go through the motions, and at that point, like, it's super not interesting, so. I mean, honestly, Divinity, Divinity Original Sin is probably the... God box. Yeah, the God box. I still need to go through... uh divinity 2 divinity 2 is better than than divinity story story wise and gameplay mechanic wise it i mean it just builds on the first divinity takes all the good stuff and refines it and throws out some of the bad stuff um with the god box 2 but yeah the divinity original sin 1 and 2 are i mean that's what really got me invested into trying out (laughs) crpgs again and I mean, are, it sounds like this is real-time with pause. Uh, it is real-time with pause, okay, which Divinity is turn-based. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, uh, having it turn-based takes some of the slog out of it. I like turn-based games. What can I say? Always have, always will. But yeah, that's that's it. My throat hurts. I don't. I I'm, have definitely rambled some, and I'll ramble some more if I keep talking like... I liked it. I enjoyed my experience with it. I want to play the sequel. I am currently replaying Tyranny on the side now. So maybe I'll talk about that some more. Um, I never beat Tyranny before. I got all the way to Act 3 for when we played it for Game Club. But mm-hmm. I actually want to beat I want to see how that story ends. Yeah, I just bounced off Tyranny hard. It might have just been, you know, not in the right mindset. Yeah. Because CRPGs are a bit demanding yeah so that's that's the games we played let me pull the news topics back up here all right ready to to move on to the news i think so so the microsoft activision deal is getting closer yeah uh, <laughs> boy right i'll, yeah, I'll let you a, talk a minute while i drink yeah, some this water. Is, yeah this is a combination of a few news topics essentially the big stumbling block has uh, a block has been the consumer. Uh, um, I want to get the acronym right. Oh no, the Competition and Markets Authority and the UK, which they're in the process of working with them. There's no details about what's going to happen there. The big hangup there was cloud gaming, which I, I know, I know. It feels weird that cloud gaming is that big a deal. 
Either they're saying something that we don't, or they're putting too much emphasis on it. And it could be either or, honestly. Or it could just be bigger in Europe. I was going to say, remember, in Europe, they have more places with better internet. Yeah, true. So they're talking about some sort of distant disinvestment there. So it's possible that you know the, their cloud services may not be available, at least in the UK. Which is one way to do it, right? Yeah. Uh, they're working with the FTC, and they won a court battle over... Uh, there, uh, the FTC, one of the FTC's hangups, which I actually had, I thought I had the topic list still pulled up, but I didn't, I must have clicked off of it. Uh, let's see, the trial one there, where there, uh, where California judge is allowing Microsoft to close its acquisition of Act- Activision Blizzard after five days of testimony. So there's still an antitrust case going on. But the judge is allowing things to proceed there. Uh, and there's a regular in Canada now saying, uh, we're not too sure about this. It, this may be bad, but it seems like it, at the uh, the time frame for the Canadian uh, uh, issues being brought up has already passed, at least according to Microsoft. So we'll see what happens there. I mean, it honestly sounds like they're passing a lot of hurdles, doesn't it? Yeah. Which is concerning. I had a very tiny sliver of hope, like a 1% chance of hope, that this would get shut down. But I pretty much always expected it to not, unfortunately. Like, it's... Ultimately, I think, no matter what, Microsoft was Mm -hmm. going to pursue this, close the deal and pursue this in the regions that they could. Because, at the end of the day, ultimately, if any one of these governments says, no, all Microsoft has to do is move any offices they have out of that country, and then it doesn't matter. They can still sell in them, they can still operate in them through subsidiaries or partners. Um, that was tossed around a few weeks ago for the UK, whenever the UK was still like a pretty big barrier. There was, uh, threats being made that Microsoft would just sh- shut down all of its offices in the United Kingdom. And then it wouldn't matter. Especially since since they- the UK's, uh, uh, economy has been shot in the foot repeatedly by themselves. Yeah. But, you know, since that's the case, then Microsoft wouldn't be beholden to any laws because they're not operating any physical locations in the United Kingdom. Now, for the United States, that's not feasible. You know, mm-hmm. Microsoft's corporate headquarters is in Washington State. Like, that... But, but I mean, the United States was never, ever going to block the deal. Even though there were some hang-ups, like, we all knew the United States was not going to be the one who blocked the deal here. Yeah. But for any of these other countries, they could just pull out. And I know that would be harder in some than others. I don't claim to know where Microsoft has stuff everywhere. They're a you know, global multi-billion dollar company, you know, maybe tens, hundreds of billions. I don't know how much Microsoft, you know, what their company is valued at and all of their subsidiaries and et cetera, et cetera. But like, it's a, you know, they've got fuck you God money, you know, mm-hmm. like, so there, there might be other countries where it would be infeasible for them to pull out, but you know, the, the major holdouts, like we've said, United States, United Kingdom, 
maybe now Canada, but maybe not because they didn't do it fast enough. Who knows? So very, yeah. And I mean, we've talked ad nauseum about why this is not a good thing, why this is, you know, this monopolization of the industry is bad, and how even though Microsoft, you know, puts on the good guy face a lot, and as far as a lot of companies go, like, there are worse companies, mm-hmm. but that like is Activision not... Blizzard. Yeah, like Activision Blizzard. <laughs> Just because uh, other companies are worse than you doesn't make you good. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people think of Microsoft as a good guy, and they're not. They're just currently a less bad guy. I mean, that's pretty much it, right? I mean, yeah, Be- a lot, of, a lot of you know, a lot of articles to read in the show notes. You know, you can yeah. go and you can learn more about this. And we've talked about theories about the case and everything as well. Like, but it's just, it sucks. This is, you know, capitalism doing a capitalism. In the short term, it might be good for a lot of folks, but in the long term, it's ultimately going to hurt Game the... Pass really interesting. Yeah. But in the long term, it's going to hurt the industry. It's going to hurt the employees. It's going to hurt residents in these areas because Microsoft is not a good guy. It is not your friend. Yeah, but think of the shareholders. Right. Well, oh, those... anybody think of the shareholders? Those poor, poor shareholders. So uh, while we're thinking of the shareholders, uh, the Dutch government uh, is thinking to ban loot boxes. That's hey, right. Hey, we loot boxes. Get those loot boxes out of here. Uh, even though loot boxes aren't much of a thing anymore outside of bubble gaming, uh, the Dutch uh, government is just going after them, though. This uh, is an example of good legislation too late. Yeah. But... That's really just the speed of government, really. Yep, I'm, that's the speed I, of I will, government. I will say that I do not have very much knowledge of how the Netherlands government is structured. So I don't know if this is, you know, they've been working on this the entire time, and it's just takes that long to get something this radically different, because loot boxes, there's not a lot of things that it, there's a direct correlation to, you know? Even yeah. the, even gambling regulation, it's not quite right for it uh, as a one to one. So having some sort of uh, you know getting the uh, lawmakers educated enough to be able to approach the issue or even understand the issue uh, to, that they can pass some sort of uh, proper legislation. It may have just taken this long, and you know gaming saw the blowback and. As we've gone to the Battle Pass and uh, other you know, games as a service shit now. But that also talks about the speed of gaming these days, huh? Yeah. All right. So this has been in play since last year. Uh, July of 2022. Okay, I'm doing I'm... some digging and following the links to previous news articles. Okay. I, I didn't dig that far down. This specific initiative that they have voted to pass is was put was was set forth in july of last year um and immediately after belgium's regulation in 2018 they have been working on their own regulation that brought like a very broad reading of Mm -hmm. skimming through several like news articles deep on the history of this I, i think the 
broad strokes of the fallout of this is we're going to see some mobile uh, titles uh, uh, be restricted for download in, uh, in the Netherlands. Yeah. And that'll be about it. I mean, Probably. I hate to be that cynical about it, but every, uh, every that's, little... that's what happened last time. Oh, I, I think every I think every minor victory is worth celebrating. True, true. Ev- every inch of ground that we claw back is is worth celebrating. But you know, it's it I is would a... like to see it being a more overarching thing than just the Netherlands. You know, love to see the, uh, the Eurozone uh, deal with it. You know, yeah. Then that'd be a celebration if we get it in one of the. Major EU countries, uh, France, Germany. Uh, France is too busy burning down right now, right? But France, Germany. I could, a few years ago I would have said the UK, but you know they're not. <laughs> they're not in the European Union anymore, and hardly major anymore. Or a large enough coalition of the smaller countries, kind of like for for you know for us Americans, when I, whenever enough states put something into law then it can affect the federal political landscape. Um, For example, there are something like 20-something, maybe 30 states that have got clauses that they've, you know, laws that they've written that have a trigger clause of if enough country, or countries, if enough states um, put it into their state constitution or their state legislation Mm -hmm. that the... um, Electoral college votes go to the candidate that receives the most national popular vote, then we'll do that. And so like, you know, if enough of these countries or countries like our states get the, the triggers for that legislation, then it comes into effect for the entirety of the union. So I'm, I'm not an expert on EU politics. I'm barely an amateur at U.S. politics, but mm-hmm. that is my understanding. That's how it's been explained to me in the past. So if that explanation is wrong, uh, take it up with a friend of mine who lives in Spain. And I'm sure that they'll have some Spaining to do. Right? <laughs> that, like, there was the initial, like, realization and chuckle, and then it hit my brain, the pun. It was good, the pun. So yeah, every victory is worth celebrating. I don't want to say it's too little, too late, but keeping up with you know technology and businesses move faster than governments and law especially stuff that's digital so i suspect that we will quite possibly always be playing catch up speaking of playing catch up uh it turns out that's no longer digitally available so it's uh, uh critically endangered <laughs> so uh according to the Video Game History Foundation, 87% of video games are missing and are considered critically endangered. So this has been on several sites, uh, essentially a copy and paste of the same article leading to the uh, Video Game History Foundation. And it's talking about how it's so goddamn hard to play a game that's not Actively being sold anymore, to the point that only a handful of uh, stuff like from the uh, Game Boy era and eight uh, bit, sixteen bit era are actively being resold, and 
it's a problem if you don't want to resort to piracy, especially since Nintendo has been going after uh, pirate websites for yeah the last couple of years. Uh, hardcore, yeah. I should say. Uh, and if you want to pay uh, or pay to uh, play on the actual hardware, prepare to get drug over the coals because uh, the retro video game market has exploded as a collectible. Which some of that might just be Monday laundering, laundering because of course it is, right? Yep, and we've talked about that before on this show. Although so you're in a weird situation where you're either breaking the law or you're just unable to play a lot of games. It's actually kind of crazy when you sit and think about some of the major titles out there that are just unplayable. And I'm not even talking about the multiplayer titles that are dead. I mean, hell, I was going through my Steam trading cards, selling off my, you know, I can't believe it's not NFTs whenever you send really thinking about it. Uh, and Grid is on there where, you know, you can't go back and play the original Grid game. You know, your Grid Racing, I should say. Wait, not at all? Uh, grid uh, Autosport uh, is gone. It got delisted a while back. Oh, I see. Like, so if you don't already have it, then you can't get it. Yeah, but the thing is that somebody that wants to go back and play the old ones, they can't go back. That's the issue. People like us have that bought in early and picked up the games that we wanted on the last theme sale are fine, but the ones that want to you know, go back and play them, well, they're shit out of luck. Uh, Driver San Francisco is another kind of big one that uh, I know of just off, off the top of my head. Can't play most of the driver's ga- driver games anyway, but Driver San Francisco is one that kind of changed how the series or it was like the last one in the series and it really changed things up. Can't play that one at all because of licensing. And that kind of also speaks to just how licensing is just handled completely different in video games compared to movies. You don't have movies be, be pulled from the shelves as often because a licensing deal for a song ran out, right? I don't know if that's ever happened for a movie. I, I'm sure it probably happened in some sort of distribution. I know TV shows uh, I had an issue for quite a while, same thing, where some of the uh, late 70s, early 80s uh, sitcoms hit a real roadblock with uh, getting put on home video because they didn't have the rights for all the songs. And being and getting the rights to put the songs out uh, on the home releases would just be way too expensive for the, uh, essentially a decent uh, release. <clears throat> Looks like... Well, it's, it's really hard because right now there's a lot of uh, like Disney Plus and... Yeah, HBO and like Sony, a bunch of a bunch of corporations are pulling movies and shows from their streaming services in order to save money and build up their own walled gardens. No, 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 no. This isn't that. This oh. is they are being pulled. Like Disney Plus is removing stuff from its streaming catalog catalog in order to uh, save money, like not having to pay um, because Disney royalties. doesn't have a lot of money royalties or taxes on things there's there's a bunch of different reasons there are 
a bajillion articles on this right now. Whenever I typed in movies being pulled for uh, mm-hmm. due to music licensing issues, and it just is focusing on the licensing mm-hmm. issues and current current stuff. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised either if it has happened at least you know once or a couple of times. But yeah, it's it's at the very least much less rare. I think rights are lots of times uh, kind of sold in perpetuity for use in that you know film or negotiated negotiated as is an permanent ongoing basis that a portion of sales will go to the yeah. you know, music rights holders or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but you don't get that in video games. It's just a flat check for however many years. Yeah. And then once that that time's up, uh the game's usually pulled. Yep. I mean, look at all the uh, uh Forza Horizon games. Or, or just I should say just the Forza games because you can't actually play a Forza game right now. Nope. Not unless you own it from way back when. Or or, you know, like you talked about, owning it already to play on original hardware or piracy. And for piracy, the Xbox, at least the Xbox 360 emulators, while it's getting better, is still nowhere near as good as the PS2 emulators. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that, you know, you don't have anything uh, beyond that era except maybe the Switch emulator uh, uh, for consoles. So you're still a couple uh, uh, console generations back uh, for emulation right now. And then you hit the issue with PC gaming where you're just going to have to pirate it, and then you may have compatibility issues. It's not as bad as it used to be, but you know there would be games that just refuse to run on certain hardware because you have too many processor cores or something. I actually hit that with a uh, Call of a Res game. It was one of the older ones uh, that... Uh, it wasn't designed to work beyond anything with a quad core. So it would see, you know, six, eight cores. It's like, I don't know what to do here and just shut down. Yeah. I would like to, as a project, build a few era specific PCs. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge classic PC gamer, but the games that I play and enjoy now, some that I will want to go back and play later in mm-hmm. life. If we continue, you know, if things continue the way that they do, they will be unplayable. So Mm -hmm. I would like to build a couple of older era specific PCs and also ones moving forward, which feels so weird to say, like several years ago, I'd have been like, ah, fuck it. I'll do without Mm -hmm. getting old, setting my ways, all this newfangled shit's just not as good as the old shit. Bah humbug. Get off my lawn. I mean, honestly, uh, a lot of the new shit is just so derivative of the same shit. Yeah. Yeah, one of the YouTube channels that Dean and I watch uh, had a uh, video of Ubisoft, why they're hated. And I made the joke, how many hours long is this one? (laughs) But one of the things that they talk about is how a Ubisoft game is, well, a Ubisoft game, and it's just really the same game over and over again with a fresh coat of paint. You know, with that, with some exceptions, you know, uh, Assassin's Creed is essentially Assassin's Creed and to do uh, uh, Tom setting. All right? Yeah. 
Which, I will say, is not necessarily a bad thing. But that's every Ubisoft game. Mm -hmm. Every Ubisoft game is X game in a new setting. They're Mm -hmm. all the same. Where you uh, could go back and look at some of the innovative games, but good luck playing them. Yeah. Some of them are hundreds of dollars just for the loose cartridge. And that's not even the good ones. That's the thing. It's just a mixture of you know, not uh, being popular at, at the time, being a collector's item for some weird reason. Uh, a, a channel that I've been following is now in the 90s. It's taking the date only in the 90s. So right now it would be July of 1993. And he talks about... uh how the game has changed as a collector's item in the past 30 years. So, talking about how uh, the last episode that Anita and I watched it was talking about uh, uh, the Goof Troop uh, video game and how it was a niche item back in the day, but has gotten a, like a cult popular, uh, popularity and is actually somewhat of a collector collector's item. And it's considered one of the better co-op uh, uh, non-beat-em-up games. But good luck playing it on original hardware. And it never got a port off the SNES. So, that's one of those considered lost games, uh, according to this article. Bring it yeah. all the way back around. I'm surprised, I think, at how high the number is. But also, like, when I think about it and how many games have been made... And yes, there are more games made now than there used to be. There are a lot of games that have been made. Well, the, for... well, the recent closing of the Wii U and 3DS digital storefronts definitely didn't help that number. No. But, you know, we're looking at 40-some-odd years of commercial, mm-hmm. like, widely publicized, popular commercialized gaming, and then another 20 years prior where it was more... Not that there weren't successful products, but it was a lot more niche, hobbyist kind of stuff. And all those games are, would be lost to time. Even really simple games, like they still count as games that are lost to time. I mean, as I accidentally launched Kerbal Space Program, basically yeah. it's just the launcher. I see that. Uh, I was trying to close out of it. I uh, was planning on checking that, uh, checking out the latest updates to see if you know it's less of a piece of shit. Or I should say, running like a piece of shit. Uh, they'll be uh, testing that one in a couple of weeks, right? Yep. Uh, as I, <laughs> I accidentally got thrown off the rails. I mean, I think the uh, main issue right now is just that uh, it's a combination of the collector's market screwing over curious gamers, the major corporations not being interested in any game uh, preservation whatsoever, Outside of what they could just resell as a remake. I mean, we're probably looking at Pokemon doing a remake of uh, one of the uh, Game Boy era games uh, in the next year or so. So that's technically taking one back off of the uh, pile that you can't play. But that's yeah, one out of probably about 50, 60 games. Uh, across, you know, GameCube, uh, uh, because there were a few GameCube games, or, uh, 
the uh, N64 that they've never touched. And that's just one, yeah, franchise. To be fair, it's a big franchise, but it's kind of the uh, highlight of it, you know? Yeah. There's just so much Nintendo stuff. It's just not preserved in any way because Nintendo just doesn't have the uh, interest in it. Or they'll purposely make it limited, like the uh, Mario 3D Classics that they did a couple years ago, where, you know, it was sold for, what, a year? Yeah, exactly, one year. It was, like, March to March, I think. And then, oh, well, good good luck playing uh, any of that anymore, because uh, I think two of them were, uh, for, the th- uh, for the Switch, I should say, essentially exclusive to that... Uh, uh, to that com to that uh, comp- uh compilation, that collection, uh, and another one was essentially a remake of it with uh, a little bit smoother controls or more modern controls. Um, it- it's just mind blowing that there's just so much out there that people are not able to play without being considered criminal by the the games industry. My takeaway from this is just steal shit off the internet. Companies aren't people. They don't deserve rights. <laughs> if they're going to try to take stuff from you, well, take stuff back from them. Steal in my name. If you have a moral compass about stealing from companies, get rid of it. Yeah, because they'll definitely not uh, hesitate to steal from you. Nope. Buy local, steal corporate. That, that has been today's PSA. As as Firefox decides to do an update, so there may be a slight hitch in that uh, audio right there. That's okay. We had a bit of a, just a momentary pause, but enough to catch it and sync it back up. Alrighty. Let's, let's so move So speaking on. of uh, corporations uh, being evil... <laughs> Denuvo wants to convince you it's DRM isn't evil. As it we is. slide into the community corner, if you wish to contribute to the community corner... You can tweet us VGL podcast over on the Twitter that it still hasn't burnt down, surprisingly enough. Or email us VGL podcast, or like Jim did for a couple of these, uh, drop them in the Discord, which uh, link to that can be found over uh, at vglpodcast.pondbean.com. Yep. So, anyways, Genova hmm. wants to convince you DRM isn't evil, but it is. <laughs> There. Done. Well, I mean, uh, the DRM uh, prevents people that legitimately buy, buys games from playing them. Yep. If that's not evil, I don't know what is. There are, going back to the piracy discussion, there are many, many, many games <laughs> that I have owned, especially from the particular like CD era of PC gaming, that I owned the <laughs> games, but I pirated them anyways, because... I could I could play games more easily. I wouldn't always have to have the disc in because that's all the disc was. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say all. There were games, and there was a, a brief era where that the game needed to access information off the disc. But by the mid to late nineties, that wasn't the case anymore. Hard drives were big enough and fast enough that games would just be installed on your hard drive. It just needed the disc in there as DRM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, I used to run Damon Tools that had like many uh, that you could get many disc images. Hell yeah, I use Damon <laughs> Tools. 
I'm sure Damon Toes uh, is still around. But, oh, like, I'm, that I'm feels sure so it old is. school. Uh, but yeah, uh, have just like a very small image that mounts to a virtual uh, CD drive. Yep. CD uh, sitting there on my desk. But why uh, uh, bother with it whenever I could just click, click and uh, be ready to play? Yep. I have, I do have several quote unquote classic games on CD still kicking around. Mm. But whenever I do occasionally want to play them, like one of them is Freelancer. The other one are the old Mech Commander games. Like I don't, I don't pull out the discs and I do have a disc drive. I've got a USB disc drive. I have a Blu-ray um, drive in my computer. I, I well, I have a USB Blu-ray drive. Uh, oh, no, but, I you know, a proper it's, internal drive. I had one up until this most recent PC rebuild I did in 2020 when my computer part of it cratered. Um, but I just, you know, like I could play them off disc, but I don't want to go through the hassle. So I have pirated, you know, cracked pirated versions of them that I'll play because it's easier. But yeah. De novo DRM. The specific reason, reasons to just kind of quickly run through this, like, this is all a song and dance I think we've all heard before. Like, Denuvo has huge, well, not maybe not huge, but it has performance impacts on mm. the game that you're playing. Oh, but they're promising to uh, show that uh, their internal uh, benchmarks, uh, the, the DRM makes no impact. Uh, that's uh, one of the things that they're promising is that they're going to show uh, through benchmarks that their DRM has absolutely no impact, which I do not believe. I believe that their testing shows no impact because they cheated. Mm-hmm. Or they, or it's edge cases, or you know, the way that they're testing it. Yeah, it's cherry picking. It, with statistics, when you do that, it's called p-hacking, which I think is hilarious. It's called p-hacking. But, you know, you're you're cheating the way that you're doing your test in order to get the result that you want. I I believe that their test shows that result, but that they have cheated to get the result. Mm. But yeah, Denuvo has performance impacts. It has it opens up your PC to security related issues. Um, it can cause issues with the game itself, making them run uh, more. You know, with more bugs or. With features not it also correctly. locks down the game so you can't uh, do uh, modding. Yep, because it's too. essentially an encryption. Uh, but remember, totally not evil. Totally not evil. Except when it is. Yeah, I- any company, I don't care what you sell, if you have to have a campaign that says you're not evil, you've already failed it. Yeah, it's the whole thing of, like, me think he doth protest too much. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, it's, yeah, it's the classic, like, if you have to say you're the king, you're not the king. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's uh, getting some politics, possibly. Uh-huh. I was watching some YouTube videos earlier talking about the the man himself of the hour. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, I don't want to talk about, about that. I'm already sad enough from American politics and mm-hmm. other things. I don't want to talk about Vladimir dipshit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Dunyovo, they suck. Uh, next, the official Minecraft uh, wiki editors are furious at fandom, which I did not get a chance to check this one out. Before. Uh, essentially, they're annoyed with uh, all the ads, all the... Uh, okay, so the wiki is themed around Minecraft, as you would expect, but 
uh, fandom uh, forces a unedible banner on uh, the uh, on the wiki. They're forcing essentially like engagement uh, opportunities through quizzes at the top of the uh, page uh, to uh, uh, to show that there's it uh, gives more engagement to the page, which will give more ad revenue. Uh, and adding the links to other wikis, uh, uh, which some of them uh, uh, it, it injects uh, links to other wikis in the fandom ecosphere, which some have some objectable content or questionable content according to the bullet points, which probably you know uh, more adult oriented games, right? Yeah, and they're ha- they're having enough, and they're uh, going to. Uh, you know, possibly build a new uh, wiki. And based off the terms of service, they're not allowed to essentially, you know, just delete the old one and move on. They have to make, uh, basically put the old one in maintenance mode and leave everything as is and then build up from essentially scratch. And they're also not allowed to share a link on the wiki saying, oh, by the way, we moved. Because, of course not, right? Yeah. Or they are allowed for two weeks, but then they have to take it down. Because, right? Yeah. I hate Phantom. I, I get um, so frustrated whenever I go to a wiki on there. Yep. It's, it's always just... If I'm not on a, a computer that's running an ad block, if I'm on, like, my phone or something, it's practically unusable. Yep. Phantom, Wikipedia... Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there's one other one. I mean, I, I know that there are multiple wiki sites, but maybe it's Wikia, like W-I-K-I-A. Mm-hmm. Anytime I go to those, if I'm not on my PC, I I don't go there because of how many ads and shit that they have. Sarna, mm-hmm. baby. Sarna.net, the Battletech wiki. It's the best. Extremely minimal ads, especially mm-hmm. not on the wiki stuff. If you're looking for something or you're scrolling through articles or not articles, but entries, no ads aside from the banner ad at the top. Battletech best. But yeah, I can't stand. And even like I'm on fandom right now and, you know, I've got an ad blocker, but there are still certain ads that are showing up either. They're like banner ads or they're like scripted into the page. So, yeah, I definitely see what they mean by the yellow banner because. Uh, that's just horrendous looking. Obnoxious, yeah. And if you have a themed wiki around it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Now, the one part, the one thing that I get, I guess I could say the least, is the idea of, like, questionable content. Although, as I'm speaking, like, it's coming to mind, like, Minecraft is not, quote-unquote, just a kid's game. But Minecraft has a huge amount of its players who are miners, so that makes a lot more sense to me. I initially was like, I don't get that, and then as I was talking and processing the problem uh, vocally, it it hit me like, oh, yeah, I see why they'd be really upset about that. Because I'd be upset if my kid goes to look up something on the Minecraft wiki and finds himself, you know, in some questionable content. I mean, just, okay, so... From Fandom Wiki, uh, click on TV, and then I can click on The Boys uh, Wiki in two clicks. Yeah, my kid's too young for The Boys. 
Yeah, which that's right. Yeah. Uh, I mean that's just one thing. You're off the up, oh, or uh, you could go to Rapal's drag race, which might be objectionable to some. Uh, and, going... and even even if you know, even yeah. still, it's at least like age appropriate. Like, uh huh. There, there, you know, there are still times when I could would you know that everything I think can be objectionable based mm-hmm. on age like stuff you know some stuff is just inappropriate for young kids who don't have the capacity or capability to understand it or it is too sexual in nature like blatantly sexual or violent in nature for I mean, kids how you could, uh, if you go through the movies and this is not even counting all the news feed which uh, links to other stuff you could get to the twilight wiki uh, just on two clicks Oh God! No one should be able to see that child or adult should give up on the anti-trans bills and pull up the anti-Twilight bills. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you could get to The Witcher pretty easily as well, which uh, that opens up a whole can of worms. Which Witcher? The entire uh, Witcher, or specifically to the show? Or uh, it looks like uh, to the TV show, which might link uh, back to the games as well. Yeah. Up, you could also up. You could get uh, through lifestyles. Get to cocktails. So again, to drinking, and this is literally just going through uh, the top wikis. So right, I know I'm yeah. cherry picking a little bit, but I definitely could see where they're going for or coming from on this. You know. Yep, I can too. Like I said, I had to kind of verbally process it a minute for my brain to to get it, but I do get that. I was just wondering what you could get to just in two clicks. And that's not even going down to uh, some of the more uh, uh, deeper lists. Ugh. Okay, here's something obnoxious. I click on the Minecraft wiki, and it has that, please help us personalize your experience. I'm an adult. I'm a kid. What about a squid? Can I be a squid? You're a squid now. You're a squid now. You're a squid now. But yeah, they may have a point on this one, e- even though it is uh, kind of just the nature of the beast right now, where, yeah, the uh, big wiki platforms are are just a utter mess. And it's kind of mind-blowing whenever you sit and think about uh, the holder of these uh, uh, servers are basically getting essentially free to add money because they're not producing the content. They're just letting the community do it, huh? Yeah. Oh. Does that make them like digital landlords? Yep. No. Now I'm sad again. Oh, uh, there... Uh, I missed this whenever I read the bullet points. There was also a deep disquiet among wiki editors <clears throat> over a recent controversy with McDonald's wiki in which fandom replaced the existing Grimace page for, to a paid-for McDonald's advertisement without the consent or knowledge of the McDonald's wiki editors. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the the fact that there's that big of McDonald's wiki is a little mind-blowing, let alone, all right? I get that, actually. But like, also, because people also collect repl- the toys, and yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I just, I, it's one of those things I didn't send, uh, think about it until. All right. Yeah, no, but, I never but, would have thought about it, but it makes sense. 
but completely pulling a page and replacing it with an ad. I mean, that's fandom right there, right? Yeah. As in fandom, not, uh, yeah, fandom, you know. Oh, I definitely see why Minecraft is possibly leaving. I uh, wish them the best. Yeah. Uh, I do hope that they find less scummy uh, uh, web hosts. But also, it's going to come up uh, to a point of uh, how are you going to get engagement out? I mean, uh, Reddit's in the process of burning itself out now. So, so it's going to be trying to get the algorithms from Google and wherever else to see the new wiki because I'm blanking on the game I was playing that had essentially like a, a decent wiki and then a really good wiki. Uh, but the thing is that the really good wiki, it wasn't on fandom, so it was down further in the uh, in the search rankings. And I'm blanking on what I was playing at the time. Oh, that's annoying. But definitely not the first time uh, Minecraft is pulling it too, huh? Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to our final. Yeah, news. a little bit of an older topic because, right? Yeah. Uh. Video games and TikTok are to blame for the French riots, says President Macron. No, no, I'm Macron. pretty sure it's the, I'm sure it's the police uh, shooting up a poor kid. Yeah, in case in case you the the listener are unaware, last week might have been two weeks ago there was a shooting in uh, France in Paris. in Paris after the cops killed a 17 year old. Uh, delivery person, driver, delivery driver, and in in the United States, unfortunately, that's uh, that would be a Tuesday, a common occurrence, and nobody other than the the kid's family gives a shit. But in the rest of the world, at least the good parts of the world that are real countries, that's a problem. And the French love a riot, so not only are they rioting for something, they're rioting over the death of a kid. And that kid's mom was like, burn down Paris. She didn't say that specifically, but like she encouraged the rioting. Mm. And so France's president, who is a deeply right wing conservative nut job. um, uh, And barely won against a further right wing uh, conservative nut job. Yep. Is pulling out a playbook from the fucking 90s. Uh, and blaming video games. Although blaming TikTok is newer, yeah. but TikTok didn't exist I, in the 90s, I mean, so... He may have a point on TikTok where they're using it to communicate, but not at, with how he's saying it, you know? Yeah. TikTok being a messaging device for the youth, or not messaging device, but a, uh, a messaging... Rallying yeah, a rallying... A, a rallying place. You know, a megaphone to spread um and showing know. uh the police being utter dicks again right yeah uh so he inadvertently has a point there but not the one that he's trying to make not the point that he's tr- yeah not the and point he's that, either trying to make or thinks he's banking yeah and saying that video games is also the reason because yeah uh, video, video games or people playing video games are saying they're like with the switch uh, throwing a Molotov cocktail and then going back to their game. I don't. Uh, how, how does that work? It is based. Ba- though. He, he's he's trying to uh, say that 
he that video games is desensitizing people to violence. When if they're so desensitized to violence, they'd be fucking Americans. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they would be American and wouldn't care about the cops shooting a kid. Oh, it said that he's the best that France could hope for on a uh, leader because what they had otherwise of what little I saw of her was who right yeah be the little revolution be yeah the uh, yeah yeah there's yeah there's some uh things in uh, uh in Europe that I think we could definitely get behind, and having a proper revolution like France uh seems to love to have every so often uh it's something that we could definitely get behind here. What is the saying? The fount or the tree of liberty must sometimes be refreshed with the blood of tyrants. Yeah, is that right? Well, let's let's get rid of some right wing tyrants, shall we? Some. Let's get rid of all of them. Well, I was using some kind of metaphorically. You're yes, all of them. But <laughs> I was using it as a figure of speech. All would be good, but so I actually have looked into see what's going on in France. Uh... Now that I think about it, uh, France bans buying fireworks for Bastille Day. <laughs> oh boy, right? Yeah, yeah, because that's uh, going to win thing win people over, right? Yep. Looks like the rioting is essentially over, uh, but they're uh, yeah still calling for police reform, which I hope they get it. It would be nice to see pol- uh, the police being held accountable. And uh, would be uh, you know, an absolute fantasy here. Yeah. God bless. You mentioned police reform and <laughs> fucking somebody in America, but especially in like, I think, especially in like the South, like mm-hmm. they pop up from like under the floorboards or something. And it's yeah. like, ah, you're a communist, <laughs> yeah. socialist. Uh, uh, don't forget if you mentioned on Facebook, you have all these bootlickers with the, the thin blue line on their avatars. Yeah. Now, even uh, talking about defund the police, which the, a lot of the police around here don't need this funding. Yeah. Mm. I would love to have a European style police. I mean, <laughs> ACAB, right? But, mm. like, you, there are these sort of weird, harsh realities of, like, and whether or not they're symptoms of and, like, possibly under other forms of government or whatever, like, whatever. You know, maybe. I would love to entertain the idea of not needing any type of police enforcement at all. But if we're going to have to have cops because of the society we've built, I'll take European cops over American cops any day. They're still not good, but it's like the lesser of two evils kind of thing. So yeah, that's that's that. I'm sad again, but it is what it is. That's, That's the world. So, um... Hey, Rach, how can people send us stuff if they want to send us stuff? Well, once again, you could do so by going over to Twitter. Uh, even though we did lose TweetDeck, I still do manually check that. You could check. Uh, you could uh, do so by uh, VGL Podcast over there. You could email us VGLPodcast at gmail.com. Or you, drop, yeah, or you could drop by the Discord, which a link to that is over at VGLPodcast.pondbean.com right there at the top. Not, not perfectly center, but it's close enough. Right. And, uh, hey, Rage, why don't you hit them with them socials for you? Oh, I've been Caffeine Rage. You could 
Well, I'm still on Twitter technically, even though I haven't posted all year. Uh, gave me a CR over there. I actually have a Threads account now. Caffeine Rage there, even though I haven't posted anything there. And it, it's more seeing just what's going on. And I uh, and also it pisses off Elon Musk to see uh, accounts over there. So that's all I needed, right? Yeah. Maybe we'll get lucky in the cage match. They'll kill each other. Uh, if Elon's mom allows it, right? <laughs> that would be lovely. <laughs> if they did kill each other. Although I would take one of their deaths. Even what, just one of them would be good. <laughs> the question is, which one? Mm, Ooh, I don't know. Good call, question. Right? <laughs> it's a tough question, yeah. Or it could be my friend on Steam, Caffeine Rage, over there. And yep. you've been? I have been Jared. You can find me on Twitter, still actively posting until it is entirely burned to the ground, at JMA4707. Um, you can see me sometimes over on twitch.tv slash runicarts, where I host, er, or not host, run a Vampire the Masquerade game that they stream. Um, again, that averages about every other week. There's been a couple weeks we haven't played, and it we might not be playing tomorrow either there's some stuff going on for 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 people anyone who's ever tried to run tabletop games knows that struggle of syncing up multiple people's schedules to to sit down for a few hours together so you know but anyways you can also be my friend over on uh, steam or discord jarthur4707 on both Woo! and once again uh as my cough drops are wearing off uh, VGL podcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game related talk- topics. Tweet them to us, VGL podcast, or drop by the Discord, which you can find a link to that over at VGLpodcast.podbean.com. And if you wish to spread the love, you can find us on your podcatcher of choice. Our intro and outro, oh, sorry, our Patreon, uh, uh, our patrons first. Our patrons make this madness possible. Hmm. <laughs> You find out more about that over at patreon.com slash podcast. And our intro and outro music is on the ground by Kevin McLeod. You can find his work over at incompetech.com. And as always, as this lovely music starts to roll across <laughs> my voice, bye bye now. See ya.